the Cowboy Craft. And welcome in to the Cowboy Craft Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Olszewski. Um, on the program today, we have cowboy artisan, sculptor, painter, pencil artist, phenomenon, Kurt Madsen. He has some of the best sculptures around, some of the best paintings. I mean, the man puts timeless traditions back into art. If you look at one of his sculptures, they're amazing for that. They're just, I mean, they... First of all, he's a stickler for authenticity, and he researches everything to an extent where his pieces look so lively. And he obviously integrates the love of history and horses and all of those things into his artwork. He's really phenomenal. Um, he uh, he just has studied for tons of years this, and uh, and has really really. Uh, brought it to a level that's unbelievable i mean he studied he apprenticeshiped with all kinds of people and has been through the schools but i think the biggest thing that comes out in his work is the love for the cowboy history and uh, and uh he's and that that really shows up you know he if you look at his sculptures they they are all about life but he talks about in the in the interview today about how he he sees a piece and how he brings it all together and how he makes your eyes go from place to place and um you know he brings his he brings his visions to life he's a real creator and um a christian man he's got some good views and uh, some moral insights and uh really uh really excited for this episode today i hope you enjoy it um and i hope you're Hope you're looking forward to it. We've got several more episodes that are just going to roll right out. Bang, 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 bang. Um, we got Mike Brummett from Great Basin Hat Co. We got Western Skies Handmade. We got Mark Kohler. We got Cody Rich. We've got a whole bunch of people that are going to be coming on to the podcast coming up. So, you know, in the next few weeks, two weeks, three weeks, we're going to re- release like four episodes right off the bat. So, uh, please stay tuned. Please keep listening. Please keep helping us out here. And uh, we really appreciate it. So let's roll on into the interview with Court Madsen. And please, like I said, let us let us hear how you like it. So we want to thank Kurt so much. Such phenomenal talent. And we appreciate him coming on the program. So here we go. Kurt Madsen, everybody. everybody so here on the cowboy craft podcast i have the privilege of having a painter sculptor and artist storyteller 
Kurt Matson on the program. Kurt, thank you so much for giving us some of your time and coming on the podcast, sir. Well, thank you, Josh, and it's good. I'm really tickled to be there. It's a real honor, and I'm real excited about it. Kurt, we seem to have hit a period in life where things like the cowboy crafts has been kind of swept under the rug and people don't even know know what it is anymore and so what we're trying to do on this program is help people understand what it is we do and why we do it now i know that you're very um, well versed in the cowboy lifestyle and that's part of what you do why you do why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into what you do all right well you know i grew up in the horse business. My grandfather was an old speed bit man out of Idaho, and he moved down to California, and he taught himself. He would day work. Now, this is, you know, of course, way back in the 40s, but he would day work some of these ranches all through that country, and then he taught himself to build saddles this was back in the 50s, and uh, from there, he taught himself to build bits and spurs and boots, and that. of course, my mom was raised in all of that, but we got involved in the horse business, and we showed cutting horses, rainers, holder, you know, pretty much the gamut. Because back in those days, now you're talking the 70s, uh, that period up into the, the uh, early 80s, you know, that was, these horses were pretty, were, we were starting more specialization, but they were really uh, very, uh, uh, did a lot of different things. So they were very versatile. Mm-hmm. Well, as we were shown, we would haul for the world every year and we would go back and we would go to uh, Oklahoma City for the World Championship. So we'd qualify for the state for the world. And in uh, 1979, we went back there. We had been before, but I had never gone to the Cowboy Hall of Fame. So I went marching in there, and the first thing you see when you walk in is James Earl Frazier's and the trail. Now, that plaster, if, it's, if you'll remember the piece, it's an uh, Indian horseback, and he's mm-hmm. kind of slipped over with a mm-hmm. spear hitch. You know? yep. yep. And it's 18 feet tall. And uh, it's the original class that was done for the 1950 Pan Pacific Exposition in San Francisco. I saw that, and I thought, you know, it just like, wow. And then I went into their permanent collection, and as I went in there, they've got a drawing by Edward Boreen, because these old Californians, you know, and Andy's old yeah. horses, you know, with caps, yeah. centerfire rigs, and a whole nine yards, you know. And I'll tell you, I marched out of there. I went right to the bookstore, and Harold G. Davidson had just published his first book on Boreen. And so I grabbed that up, and I started thinking about this art thing. Well, I ended up, 1980, when I went up to Canada, and I actually met my future wife there. She was working on a a guy who used to buy and sell horses for all the time. Mm -hmm. I needed a trainer, and so off I went to Alberta. And I came back to Oregon, where my grandfather was. And then I hired on a ranch in uh, Northern California. It was a thoroughbred outfit. And we had two studs. We stood two studs. Uh, we bre- the ranch owned about 40 mares. We breed about 40 outside mares. And I had grown up. We always had a studs everywhere and lots of colts to start. You know, we were just always in the middle of things. So I ended up working there, and I became a manager. They, uh, two weeks after I started there, the manager walked out. He said, you're going to be managing the place. <laughs> he left and went to another ranch. <laughs> so I got to spend uh, you know, three years there, and I didn't know anything about racehorses. There was cow horses and used horses that they were involved with. And at the end of that three years, you know, I got to think I was 27. 
and I thought, you know, I could either stay in the horse business or I could this art thing. I had started practicing you know, piddling with drawing and playing with some clay and trying to figure out sculpture and stuff. And so what I did is I thought, you know, I would really like to give, because, you know, most horse trainers end up broken and broke. Right. So, Kurt, did you, you know, Kurt, did you have a back? Did you have a background in art before you before you went into this uh, ranching stuff, or is this a new thing for you by the time you hit about 27? Yeah, I missed all of that, Josh. I, I was saying to you, did you already have, uh, did you have a background in art then by the time you hit that age, by the time you were working at this ranch? Did you already dabbled in art, or was this a new thing no. for you? Yeah, this was just because, I'll tell you, it was because I've seen that big piece. And I didn't know if I could do diddly squat. Uh, at this ranch, you know, Grandpa had taught me to build saddles. So I had a little saddle shop. I was building the occasional saddle to kind of supplement the, my income in that, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. And I figured, you know, if I'm going to do this, I need to kind of sort this out and figure out how and what is. I knew what kind of I liked. I didn't know what good sculpture was. And I, what I had done... In 1982, I went into Sacramento. This branch was outside of Sacramento. Uh, I had to go into town, and I saw a magazine, and it had a bronze by Grant Speed of this bucking horse called Outlaws and Twisters. And, I mean, golly, it was just this horse. It blowing up, and this one was getting sent off. You know, it, was out. it was just so good. And I had no idea there were people making a living with art. I thought they were all dead. You know, I thought Charlie Russell, Remington, that's how much I knew, you know. Yeah. And so all of this was stewing around in my mind. And so finally, what happened, my dad and my parents, they had, you know, this had years earlier, when I was a little kid, they had the largest radiator shop in Orange County, California. My dad was very entrepreneurial. Well, he, uh, they had gotten, they just had a few horses now at this point, uh, just as for fun. And he had reopened the radiator shop in Hammett up in, uh, on the desert. So uh, he said, well, go to work for me, and then you can try this art thing. And he figured I wasn't going to stick. Right. Anyway, what happened was I got down there, and so I would work at the radiator shop during the day, and then at night I would stop. And I met a guy at an art show. I started going to art shows just trying to find anything else. And he kind of took me under his wing. His wing was no loss. And Mel had just gotten in the Cowboy Artists of America. This is 1983 now. Uh-huh. And uh, I would go down there once a month, and Mel would, uh, he told me how to build an armature, some real basics. And then I would do a workshop every year. I would drive over here uh, down to Scottsdale. We live in Cape Creek, Arizona. Uh, we, I'd drive down to uh, Scottsdale uh, Artist School and take a class. And that's how I learned. Wow. Wow. That's definitely... That's definitely not doing, uh, not doing it the easy way. I mean, you had to work your way, work your way through it. That's, you know, that's not like it just fell into your lap. You know, I wonder, uh, do you, is there a point in time where you can put your finger on and say, I am going to be a sculptor as a profession, or do you think that just happened over time where you figured as you got better, it was something you would eventually do? How do you, how do you think the the evolution of that worked out. Well, I'll tell you, I figured, and here again, this goes back where, you know, ignorance, but uh, I just figured I was going to do this. 
And my grandpa always told me, you can do whatever you want to. And he, you know, I, you just have to go at it. And so I figured, you know, my dad used to tell me, uh, and again, this comes from his background. He would always say, you know, you have to do something you don't like to make money, but then do your fun stuff on the side kind of thing. And yeah, I figured over and over again, all I ever cared about was riding horses. And he would get so upset with me because he wanted me to go to university. He wanted me to be, he wanted me to be the lawyer. But all I cared about was riding these colts. I love riding these horses. And the only thing that ever came natural to me was stepping on a horse. Everything else has always been, you know, it's like uh, when you're boxing. And you, if you box a guy, he's a plotter. Right. And they just keep coming at you. Yeah. And, you know, you just can't stop him. Yeah. And that's kind of how I am. I, you know, I just have to keep plodding at it, you know. It's like, oh, crud. Some guys, it happens real fast. And for me, it was just, boy, i got to keep slogging at this. And so I figured right from the get-go, I just I wanted to be a sculptor. That's what I was going to be. And so I just had to keep at it. And wow. I wasn't going to spend my life doing something that uh, I was that was not. Like you saw so many people who were just miserable. And, you know, I just didn't want to have anything to do with that. And, boy, I figured with, the, with art, I could stay horseback. I can tell the stories because it goes back to just what you said at the, at the beginning. Uh, you know, this culture is well worth preserving. It's so rich, and it's who we are as Americans. It's uh, unique in the world. And when people will get, you know, I tell everybody, these horses will change your life. Absolutely. And if, if people get a handle on that, and then I tell stories, everything I do, I, it's all horse stories. They're driven by the human-horse relationship, and what these animals are capable of. And these really good horsemen that uh, can communicate with them, that understand them, and that you can tell these stories because people don't know. It's that little old saying, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So would you would you say that your, your beginnings in sculpting was more out of a love for the horse and the Western cowboy culture, or was it a love for sculpting itself? Or is it a mixture of both? It was both. It was the idea that if you put something in the Bronx, you were telling a story that was going to be around for years and years. You know, until the Lord comes, these, these pieces will be here. Yep. And they're tactile, and they're something that people, it will enrich their lives, and they can get a handle on it. That's one of the things that is so uh, attractive about sculpture is that you can put your hands on it. It has new views every time. Uh, every angle you look at it, it becomes a new piece. And if right. it's well done, then you are taking the viewer on an adventure across that piece over and over, and you have discoveries throughout it that if they've had that piece 10 years, they'll still see things in it that they never saw before. Absolutely. And when you can tell those stories that way, and you can uh, enrich their lives to that degree, and give them that bit of richness of history as well in this culture, you're giving them something that is truly timeless, and that is so terribly important. And in the day we live in, where so many things are fractious, and the foundations are being uh, so shaken in so many ways, these the, the Western culture, the Buckaroo culture, this stuff is so solid, and it gives people encouragement and hope. 
and you're giving that to them through these pieces. Uh, they can be encouraged, uplifted, which is what I think all great art should do, is pick people up, because there's plenty of things to knock us down. Well, that's... And the stories of the West are, are uh, so encouraging, and people, they love to hear it. Well, that's uh, that... That brings uh, chills up my spine because that absolutely, the way you just described the, the purpose of what, uh, what you're doing is, uh, it speaks to my, it speaks to my soul and, uh, and I think it's uh, really powerful. It really is. And I, I wish I could get uh, the word out to a greater number of people that, uh, you know, it seems like in this uh, hectic electronic, uh, age of life people have lost touch with nature and with uh i mean in this case with horses and so on and so forth when i think back about my ancestors that tracked across the plains in wagons and uh and uh you know on horseback and they they challenged themselves to a degree that we probably never will get the opportunity to but uh to be able to tell that story and keep it alive that's something important maybe as important as what they did yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, you know, Josh, the thing, too, is these podcasts that you're doing, it, this is where that generation, this generation of these younger people, the millennials and younger, who don't know, they, they don't, they've been told a lot of things that are not true. And the electronic mediums are where they're going to hear that in the personal one-on-one -on -one, uh, interactions. And I think in terms of Western art, when you look at, and it's true I think, across the board to a large degree within the Western culture, because it's be, the West is becoming more and more urbanized. Right. And to, to get that message to them, that they can understand that for some, you know, despite what they've been told, ranchers do not go in and try to destroy their country. They don't try to tear the forest down. It's just because they're all trying to, you know, graze as many cattle as they can, give as much money as they can. Yep. But they love their animals. That this is, they are stewards and view themselves as such. And when they, you look at how they do, they treat the horses, how they handle them, the expertise. And I'll tell you, is, uh, you well know, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I can remember the changes that have happened since 60s, 70s, and the big moves with, between Joyce's, Ray Hunt, yep. all the guys that have come in uh, of course, now we've got you know, Buck Brand. There's so many really wonderful hands. Uh, I can remember trying to learn these things, and it was hard. I mean, like, nobody, everybody was toast mouthed. You learned little bits. Absolutely. Now, the information is becoming so widespread that these horses are, and the cattle, everything, that it's all improving so much. And these electronic things, the things like what you're doing, and in terms of both saddle making, the traditions you're keeping alive there, along with the podcasts and that, all of this helps get that message out there. And I know in Western art, what we're seeing happen is the population, the, the people who are buying Western art, uh, are aging. And when you go to some of the shows, go to the auctions, some of the different things, you'll notice a lot of the people, they're in their 70s. And uh, what part of my job as a sculptor and getting the word out there is to go to these people to get the word out to be able to talk to younger people about this culture what it really means and the richness of it 
And when you have those opportunities, I try to hunt up, I look for opportunities whenever I get a chance to talk to people uh, about it. It changes it. I'll tell you a little story. Uh, I had to fly to uh, uh, Colorado Springs. Actually, it was Estes Park. I was going to an art show in Estes Park. And so I get on the plane, and usually, and especially with Wendy's not with me, I always go to the back of the plane. I sit on the inside, right-hand side, because I can sit and draw or read, and I just sort of sit there. And usually nobody will talk to me. Everybody kind of looks at you, you know, but you don't, you, I don't talk a whole lot. Right. Well, this couple sits down next to me, and we get in a conversation. And for that two-hour flight, they were enthralled. I was reading a book about an old Californio uh, it, that I was had planned on reading. But when they started hearing about the horses, they started hearing about the lifestyle, all of this, what happened was they get to Estes Park, and they were going for some kind of family reunion. Well, what they turned out doing, they weren't going to go. Somebody had planned to try to do a horseback ride, mm -hmm. but they weren't going to do that. Well, by the time we got there, they went on the horseback ride <laughs> because they didn't know. Well, that's a that is a pretty phenomenal story. You know, I one of my, uh, which I think a lot of people, but one of my great inspirations uh, as time has gone on is, of course, Theodore Roosevelt, and uh, when it comes to a person that uh, lived in a time period, obviously there's always, uh, you have to put uh, context on the era that people live, but if you, uh, yeah. if you read about him, he was so, he was so struck dumb by the fact that the interaction with nature and especially with horses and, and cattle and ranching and so on and so forth that he felt that the uh, the land had to be preserved some way. Now, it uh, the one thing that he I think maybe missed a little bit was the fact that um, the ranchers, farmers, and people of the West were probably already the best stewards of that land that there was, and uh, probably you know in some cases does more harm than good to have the the federal government involved with it, but. Uh, you know, when I read about him, I hear a person that is coming to the realization of just how grand of a lifestyle it is. And I think that even amongst all of the technology and the things that we are given in this day and time, it, it absolutely rings true to this day, the fact that the, the cowboy lifestyle is one of the greatest lifestyles and histories and traditions to have ever been upon this earth that we know of and i think that's something that's pretty interesting that's absolutely right that is absolutely right and i think that uh it's it's when i look at your sculptures when i look at your your art i mean you are a very talented artist all the way around i i see your paintings and your drawings and they're they're absolutely amazing how you capture the life i mean i think we agree on the fact that uh we're both creators. We, we desire to be creators. Um, and uh, I definitely see the creations that you make come to life, even though they are still images or still things. You know, I think that for me, aside from keeping this uh, history alive and doing what I do, I desire to be creating on a daily basis. That yeah. is a big, a big thing to me. And, I, and I, I think in order to create in the way we want to, 
we have to understand our art form and I think that's something that I've heard from you that I haven't heard from anybody else is the story you tell about how you bring art to life. Do you have inspiration there? Who inspired you to go down that path? How did you realize that you could bring art to life the way that you do? Well, you know, I'll tell you, my grandfather was the biggest uh, inspiration because he would tell me, you can do whatever you want to, you know. And but what it, I'll tell you what it boils down to is my was I just felt like I, this is it goes back to sort of like a calling. You feel like okay, this is what the Lord has for you. And when I had when I got that fired up, my dad was very skeptical. My parents, you know, he was very pragmatic, and it, I just wanted to do it so bad. There was this fire in your belly, and you know how that is. Yes. You got that passion, that fire in your belly, and by golly, you just go at it. And, you know, I was ignorant enough to not, not know not only how difficult it would be, but uh, that uh, it was it, that I didn't know you could fail. I just figured I was going to get there. I was just going to go. And that's all I knew. And, you know, I'll tell you, the Lord, I was very blessed in many respects, one of which was the people that came that I got to learn from were at the, they were the very best in that in our genre and i uh, not only in terms of workshops when we moved to prescott now this is back in 1991 i got to apprentice under a guy named pat haftenstall mm -hmm. pat haftenstall was one of the finest sculptors which ever been. i call him the jail james Earl frazier of cowboy art and it was four years and i was over there constantly and pat i he had some health issues so he couldn't do large things so i would rough big stuff in for him and then pinch him out that guy and his family, uh, I learned so much about what is it that makes great sculpture? What is it that makes great art? How do you approach it? How do you think? Because an awful lot of this comes down to, how do you think? And I, there was an old saying a guy told me one time, and he said, you know, for every hour that you're in the studio, you should think for 45 minutes and sculpt for 15. And while that may be a bit of an exaggeration, that is such good advice because you have to think in terms of what is it you have to say, how simply can you say it, and, and then think in terms of there's four things that make great sculpture once you get past anatomical concerns. That's mass, texture, light, and design or composition. And those four things, you have to be able to know, you know, if, nobody, if nobody's ever been around a horse, they can look at a sculpture and know that it's wrong. Right. And for me, and this is kind of a, my own personal thing, especially in terms of the uh, sculpture, but it's true with painting as well. Uh, when I, you know, it's like I tell everybody, you know, if it's ugly in bronze, it's ugly for a long time. <laughs> so, what I try to do is I want these things to be timeless. So you want to get the anatomy correct, but remember that you're, you're putting what you're doing, you know, once created the horse, the cow, the cowboy, but you are creating a symbol. So what you want to do is tell people what is important, how you view that animal, that action, that particular story, and give them everything because ultimately the medium demands because of its longevity that you give them something of true consequence that has a real wonderful story with it. Right. So that I filter everything through those things because I want people, if they're good enough to buy a piece, nobody has to buy a piece of art 
from me. And if we're good enough to do that, I want to make sure that it is the best piece of art to the best of my ability that they will ever get a hold of. And that's what you try to do. And it goes back to being able to lift them up and to give them something that they're going to be excited about for years and years and years. So what is your what is your favorite piece? What is your favorite piece that you have sculpted from the very first time you laid your hands on clay to up to this point in your career? Do you have one piece that stands out that you would say, oh, that's definitely the one I will always remember? Or is it a group of things? Or is it more the experiences from each one? Or how does that work out for you? You know, for me, it's about the... the quality of the story and the composition of the piece, how well it's executed. And I've got a piece that's called Beginning with a Bolter, and it, I, I just view it as the best thing I've ever done. I've got lots of pieces I like, but that piece is just a wonderful piece. For me, anyway. I mean, that's how, you know, what I view it. And but, is it, uh, why, do you, why do you think it's the best piece you've ever done? What are the things that go into that? What makes it uh, different from the rest? You know, it, a, lot, a lot of it is the story and the composition. Uh, I, there's, there's a lot of things that happen there. You know, you have breakthrough pieces as you go through your career. Right, right. And there's where things happen, and you go, oh, man, you know. Yep. And that piece had a lot of those, uh, had a lot of those things happen. And that's been, over the years, I've had several of those things, you know, where you go, okay, boy, you did something right, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Bolter's one of them that, that's had that happen. I, there's other pieces that I love for different reasons. Sometimes it is the story. Uh, sometimes it's just the feel that comes out, you know, because you're, that's what you're doing is helping. Uh, so there's just all kinds of different uh, reasons, you know. But uh, it's hard to pick any favorites because each one, it's like I've got a piece that I'm uh, working on right now. But it's just, I've, it's no about Carol, you know, uh, from the 1850s. And... Uh, He's just coming together, and I'm just so stoked about it. I love the horse that he's on. So that's the newest thing that I'm all excited about. I've got about eight pieces on the works, and uh, it's just it's just certain things that really come through. Do you work from photos or images, or is it all coming from directly from your your own uh, memory and mind and whatnot? The compositions and that are all out of my head. The horses I rock in, they're all done to scale. So I, I measure all kinds of different horses out. So I'll measure them, photograph them, and then when I start to compose, because there's certain things in terms of placement uh, with your horses and things that allows you to get the horse right into position, and then I'll refine it using live models and photography uh, so that I can get the muscles just how they need to be and make sure I double-check everything. That kind of stuff. Live models and then uh, photo reference as well. So you use kind of a combination. Mm -hmm. But I don't get locked into those photos because ultimately what will happen is if you become too photo-reliant on anything, you won't exaggerate and push the composition. And when you do that, what you end up with is a piece that's more stagnant. Right. And so you've got to be able to stretch your horse more, your figure more. They can go the extra mile. Fritz White uses the fastest. He could take the figure and just talk in any way and do things that were possible, but you never knew it because he did it so well. Right. right. That's what you need to do is to be able to cause the viewer to suspend any kind of you know, rational thinking and experience the moment. And when you can do that, you know you've really been successful in terms of your composition. 
So did you ever have a time in your in your career where you were afraid to take on a piece, the size of it or the or the uh, the story of it or anything like that? Have you ever come up against that where um, you've had to say, well, you know, I might not get this perfect, but I'm going to I'm going to challenge myself anyway. Or was it always more of a a attitude where you weren't worried as much about the result and you were just going to get into it? That's you, you hit the nail on it right there. You have to just go for it, and uh, if you know whatever happens, happens because you're going to learn. That's the only way you're going to grow is to be able to go push past where you've been. Right. And you have to be. You know, there's a there's. A, I've got an eight step thing that I always remember, and one of those, the last step is to always be comfortable being uncomfortable, and uh, that's when you begin to really create. And to have no limits. And I want to be able to create with no limits. So, and one of the great things about cowboy art is you have to learn the human figure and you have to learn animal anatomy. So you're very broad in terms of you can do about anything because you've learned all of these things. Right. And, you know, animals, whether it's a cow or whether it's a giraffe, those basic things in terms of anatomy are all there. They're just in different proportions. And so, and once you've learned to really look over those animals and, and understand the surfaces, understand the form, understand what's going on underneath the form, mm-hmm. you can take on anything. You can just take on anything. So you just, you, know, you want to keep pushing along. And stuff. Well, that's that's very interesting because I I definitely believe that uh, fear is what uh, holds a lot of people back from creating their best work. Is they're afraid of. Uh, the outcome and so they never get to that point and uh, and you know so I think it's that fearless mindset that a lot of times brings out uh, probably your best work whether it's the best work of your career or the best work at that time you know I certainly have had moments where it's been an epiphany and I say you know that is that is the best way I've ever done that particular thing and hopefully I'll continue to have those throughout my my career but I you know I totally think that in my in times in my career, I've certainly had times where I have uh, been afraid to take on something, you know, and, and at times it's uh, it keeps you back. But uh, it sounds like you have definitely had the right mindset and, it, you, you know, the results speak for themselves because your work is absolutely outstanding. So do you still uh, do you still ride uh, and uh, and keep horses to this day or are you? Uh, you betcha. And do you so still? We've got, I've got a pink gelding. We've got a nice little uh, horse property here in Cape Creek, and we're we butt up against a uh, a big park, and then it goes right into the national forest behind that. So uh-huh. we're horseback every day. And my uh-huh. wife's got a big old. He's a draft cross. He's eighteen hands, and we bought him uh, as a three year old. He wasn't holder broke. We bought him out of Saskatchewan. My wife's Canadian, and uh, got him down here. They got him to where at least we could get through a vet check on him. He had been kicked out on section but uh 80 had a horses between three and six never really been handled these horses were just let grow up which is wonderful so you really got a blank right and so we've got quinn that's my wife's horse and trucker we got as a three-year-old uh he wasn't started he didn't know anything and he was just miserable old horse trainer had him and i got him and started him and he is just a doll so we have a blast so you still, to this day, are drawing your inspiration then from those same animals you did originally. That's, yep. Uh, 
How long did it take you to get used to the Canadian accent when you met your wife? Because I know for me, I've definitely struggled to get onto the Canadian uh, verbiage of some of my friends and colleagues. And I think it's funny when uh, I, the one day I had a long call with Canadian and then I had a call with South African and uh, my mind was so boggled by the end of it that I just had to take a break. She never really had a real serious Canadian accent. It was always very mild. Wow. So it, you get the occasional A, but that's about <laughs> it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was, I didn't have any struggles at all. <laughs> <laughs> I, love the, I love the A. It's great. Every time I hear that from somebody, I'll even pull it myself at times. And uh, they'll be like, what? Oh, yeah. You only know it if you know it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, Kurt... Uh, what do you think, uh, at the end of it all, the end of your whole career, what do you think is the one thing you want people to remember you for and what you've done, what you've accomplished in your craft? The one thing is that I have glorified the Lord through this work, lifted people's lives up. Um, that is what all that matters to me, is that I want to share this culture. I, find, I don't think there's anything more uplifting than that. And, you know, in my little mission statement, number one thing is you glorify the Lord in it. So my stories and that are all are coming from that background, from that mindset. And that's the whole thing for me. Well, it's, uh, that's definitely an admirable uh, outlook. It's certainly the same uh, outlook that I have. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, like I said, the outcome of your work speaks for itself. The right mindset and the right attack plan and uh, the right perspective and you get the you get the results that you have obviously you're extremely talented and uh and on top of that i'm sure you've had to add many many years of incredibly hard work you know i think that's one thing people forget is the hours and hours and hours of work it takes to learn a craft and to uh continue to be passionate about it to get the results that you do is uh very uncommon and that's uh, probably what separates the the professionals from the wannabes. Yep, you are dead right about that. That is absolutely right. I absolutely, uh, absolutely take a ton of inspiration from your work. I follow it on a daily basis, and uh, one of my goals in life is to someday own one of your pieces. So I. I have to tell you that I think there are more people out there that probably draw inspiration uh, uh, from your work on a daily basis. So, you know, that's definitely something you can be proud about as well. Well, I'll tell you, if it wasn't for other people, you know, Jesus said that freely you will be given, freely give. Yeah. And if it wasn't for guys that took the time with me, because, like I said, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything, and it's not like I'm overly skilled. I just wanted to do this so bad. And they took the time, and I try to do all I can. That's one of the reasons it was Instagram and that, and all of that. And then I teach a workshop every year at SLS school here locally. Uh, is because I want to you know, try to help people with this, and I want them to understand what good sculpture is. Uh, whether it's a collector, whether it's somebody who wants to learn sculpture, it doesn't matter. But that you're giving them the things, the foundation to be able to make good judgments and really get a feel for what this is all about. The culture as well as the art form. Well, that's, that, is, uh, that embodies everything that uh, 
that I think we are hoping to share with the audience of this podcast. So hopefully everyone's taken a lot of uh, a lot of the good information that you've shared, and uh, they'll be able to add it to their their mind and uh, and help them. I think that it's such an interesting thing. The people I have the opportunity to talk to a lot of different artists and crafters and. I would tell you that probably 90% of them have a similar story of, I don't feel like I was overly skilled, but I just wanted to do this so bad. You know, they were so passionate about it, and that is a very common thread amongst uh, the best of the best, I think. There's a lot to it, that's for sure. There's a lot like that. Well, Kurt, one, one thing I like to say is if you have... If you have one thing that you would say to the cowboy crafters out there that would encourage them and keep them going down the path, because you know it's not always the most uh, uh, the most profitable of uh, uh, businesses at times for people, and uh, you know it's very misunderstood. What would be the one piece of advice you would you would lend a hand to give? Never, ever, ever give. Well, that's uh. Always, uh, there's going to be plenty of people try to take you down or discouragements to come. Never give up. Well, I don't think you can. I don't think you can say it any better than that. I certainly have found that to be the case. And every time you feel like you are at the end of where you're going to go with your journey, it only means that you're at the bend, and you just need to find your way around that little corner, and you'll get there. You are right. You get down another long stretch, so you know it is so uh, so encouraging to talk to you. Probably one of my best conversations I've had to date, and uh, I hope people will take the time to listen to this and uh, and follow your work. Uh, where can people find your work, and where can they buy it? Uh, you know, we've got the website kurtmaxim.com. I'm on Instagram, uh, Facebook, the Kurt Maxim Cowboy Art. We represented in Colorado Springs at the Broadmoor Gallery. Right now, that's my only gallery. And then we uh, show at several different shows throughout the year, one of which is locally here uh, called Celebration of Fine Art. And it runs from January through March, seven days a week for that entire time. And uh, so I'm there as well. Well, that's, that's wonderful, Kurt. I want to thank you again for... Uh, giving us your time and coming on the program here and I uh, would hope to have you on again in the future Um, we certainly are fans of your work here and we'll continue to promote and spread the word about you as much as we can and we'll hope that God blesses you the rest of your trip well thank you Josh and I cannot thank you enough I am just so thrilled to be on your podcast it's just a great honor I love what you're doing, so keep it up. Thank you, Kurt. Really do appreciate that. That means a ton to us, and uh, we'll see you around the bend, my friend. All right, you betcha. everybody i hope you enjoyed that uh episode there with kurt Matson. um super super informative when it comes to understanding the lifeblood of creating art i mean you all know when you hear 
an artist talk about creation, that is what everybody is reaching for, to breathe life into something, to create something, and to do so in a way that tells a story that keeps the Western heritage alive. Um, Kurt is exceptional at that. I mean, probably my favorite interview for, um, for understanding how art works. Um, so that was really that was really good. I really enjoyed um, my time there with Kurt. Would like to do a follow-up interview with him if we can, at some point. Um, I think uh, I already mentioned on the following ar- uh, episodes we're going to have Mike Brummett from Great Basin Hat Co. We're going to have Western Skies Handmade. They make purses, belts, all kinds of really amazing western tooled stuff for women and uh, I think they make stuff for men too but I think they focus on like purses and women's stuff and then we have Mark Culler cowboy artist painter watercolor painter he is amazing you are going to absolutely love love what he does um, we're gonna have him on too with follow-up we're gonna have just gonna keep rolling rolling these episodes out um, give you something to listen to some of these interviews, um, audio quality is not great, unfortunately, because I made some mistakes with the microphone. Uh, I'm not really sure you are surprised by this, but I did. I made some mistakes with the microphone, and by mistakes, I mean that I turned on the microphone and did not notice that the light was not on because the microphone was not plugged in. So you'll notice some audio deficiencies, possibly, in a couple of the interviews and some intros and stuff like that I apologize for this totally my fault 100% I mean if you hate me now totally understand it's on me it's on me I take it uh, one last thing I'd like to say is um, the 500 mile project that the heroes and horses um, guys and gals um, they're a veteran program they just released their film called 500 mile project please check it out please listen to it we're going to have uh micah on the program at some point but uh, we're also going to have some minds that uh that think more outside the box to help us understand how we can better run our businesses as cowboy artisans um we're going to have cody rich come on the program he's going to talk a little bit about that um he's not an artisan he's not a cowboy artisan but he he does live within the western community and he understands social media and all of these types of things so um, we're going to do a little bit of that because I think we can all use some help with the financial side of things keeping it all alive so that's what we have coming up I want to get some other people to tune into that side of it too I think every third episode might be some tips some help on how to keep your shop running how to keep the lights on so on and so forth Anyway, we're going to read a poem here, finish this puppy out, and then we will call it a day. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cowboy Crafts Podcast. You're all phenomenal. Um, I can't thank you enough for your support. We ask that you would continue to support us, continue to ride us, continue to help us along this journey. And thank you so much, and may God bless you. Bye now. All My Trails My gear's already loaded in the truck. All I need is eight seconds and a little bit of luck. It's Calgary in July. They could mark me good and high. 
Let her rock and let her roll, let her buck. I turn to wave, an angel's who I see. Your hand throwing kisses, your hair blowing free. You think it doesn't show, but this old cowboy knows how hard it is to love a man like me. 500 miles. Tomorrow's the same. Warriors and dreamers. We'll all be in the game. Cheyenne could be a good pay, but as the miles roll away, I'm thinking about the day you took my name. Sorry for the times I made you cry. For all the nights alone. For one more sad goodbye. I know it's hard on you. Thank God you said I do. You say it's only for me and you, and only God knows why. It's promises and prayers, then you kiss away the cares. Another road, another ride. It's you I'm thinking of tonight. Doris Daly. <laughs>